such a blessing to hear the music today. Man, I missed you, and i um, uh, grateful that I got to take a little extra time to be with uh, our girl and her new baby and her husband, and hope you had a good week this week. And uh, we're going to talk today about happiness in this series of longings. You know, we all have this longing for happiness, right? I mean, that's just obvious. Um, I read a neat book on this. It's called The Dangerous Duty of Delight, name of the book. The Dangerous Duty of a Light is a little booklet uh, based on a bigger booklet called Desiring God by John Piper. In, in the book, here's what he says. The whole world has an inconsolable longing. It tries to satisfy that longing with scenic vacations, accomplishments of creativity, stunning cinematic productions, sexual exploits, sports extravaganzas, hallucinogenic drugs, ascetic rigors, managerial excellence, etc. But that longing, it just remains. And what does it mean? C.S. Lewis answers, I find in my, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And the nation's founders, if you recall, considered among our inalienable light rights the rights to life and liberty and what else? Yeah, the pursuit of happiness. And, and they were onto something. Now, now, that's just throughout the Scripture. You see that it's a legitimate thing to pursue or to desire to be happy. That's all through the Bible. Let me give you a little short survey. Then we're going to go to one place in the Bible to show you this. So I'm going to throw a lot of Scripture at you really quick just to kind of prove that this is all through the Bible. The language of delight and joy and happiness is just all through the Bible. Like in Deuteronomy, back in the Pentateuch, and Moses said in Deuteronomy 28, if you remember Deuteronomy 28 is a long uh, Scripture, a long chapter that talks about what all the good that comes to you if you, have, if you obey God, you have the blessing of the Lord. And if you don't obey God, you have a curse. And, and, and in the middle of that, in 28, 47 and 48, Moses said, because you did not serve the Lord with joy and with a glad heart, you're, you will serve your enemies. Back in the Old Testament, in the Pentateuch, God speaking through Moses said, I expect you to serve the Lord with joy and with a glad heart. The Bible teaches this all throughout. David, the language of David in the Psalms is full of this. And here are some examples. In Psalm 43, 4, he says, God is his exceeding joy. You, you know Psalm 100 in verse 2, right? What does it say? Serve the Lord with gladness. This is just all through the Bible. Um, Psalm 37, uh, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Psalm 90, 14, he will satisfy us in the morning with loving kindness, and then we will be glad all the day. So joy and gladness and happiness and delight is supposed to be something that we seek for and we can expect as followers of, of Christ. David said in Psalm uh, 90 and, and 14, Satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may be glad all the day. And then in, you're familiar with Psalm 1611. In his presence is, what's the rest of that? In his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. These are just a handful of samples from David, the writing of David, that the Bible is really clear from the beginning to the end that we, sh- we should be able to expect a joyful, happy life. That gladness, joy is something that we should, that we should seek. It's legitimate. Paul said it too. Of course, he said in uh, 2 Corinthians 6.10, he was sometimes sorrowful, but always rejoicing, even while he was sorrowful. When Paul described the work of discipleship, here's the, one of the ways he described it. He said in 2 Corinthians 1.24, referring to the people that he worked together in the gospel, we are workers together with you for your joy. He like described 
following the Lord as seeking our joy together. That's the way he described it. And so sometimes people tend to think of Christians as like really serious people, really maybe super sober and, and maybe not that happy. Well, that's just not the language of the Bible. These are some of the things that Paul said. He also commanded Christians in Philippians 4 and verse 4 to rejoice in the Lord always. is like a command. Choose to rejoice all the time. This was true about Peter, too. Peter wrote this in 1 Peter 4, 13. To the degree that you share the suffering of Christ, keep rejoicing, so that also the revelation of his glory, you will rejoice with a great exaltation in that day. James said, consider it all joy when you fall into various trials. And I saved the best for last, Jesus, right? Did Jesus talk this way? Did Jesus talk about people being happy and joyful? Yes, he did. Very much so. In his most famous teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed or happy are people are you when people insult you. They rejoice and be glad. Great is your reward in heaven. John fifteen eleven, Jesus said, I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So Jesus didn't just want us to be joyful. He wants to have the fullness of joy. This is just all through the Bible, right? Hebrews twelve two says that Jesus endured to be faithful to the end. How did he do that? For the joy that was set before him there in Hebrews. And this is sweet. In Matthew twenty five twenty one, he promised in the end, those who were faithful would enter into the joy of their master. That's kind of neat, isn't it? It's just, a, it's just a little sample there from the Bible. All through the Bible, all the major people of the Bible understood that. Christians, followers of God, followers of Christ, can pursue joy and they can experience joy, happiness. And that's good because we have a longing for happiness. And, and, and like all of our longings, our longings sometimes take us far from God. So there's a right way to have our longings fulfilled. And there's a wrong way to have our longings fulfilled. And I want to talk today here a little bit about some ways to be happy. Now, um, just to keep this simple, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to isolate just one little short piece of a passage of Scripture so we could go to dozens of places in the Bible, obviously, and we could teach this very same thing. But I want you to take your Bible and open to the book of Philippians because Jesus is the theme of Philippians, obviously, and there's a, there's a piece in there, of course, about harmony in the church. But like in Philippians, over and over again, it, 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 Paul talks about joy over and over again. So just to use Philippians chapter 1 as an example, and we could go throughout the entire book, but... You don't want to be here that long. And, and so we'll just go with chapter 1, and I'll show you four different ways to be. I promise practical things. So um, how many of you would like to have some practical help on how to be joyful? Raise your hand. like to have some practical help on how to be joyful. Good. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you three things, four things, four things that will practically help you. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take those four things um, from the teaching of Paul in Philippians. You understand the Philippi, how that happened. Remember as they went into to, to Philippi, you know, Paul helped to plant the church there. And you know that the Philippian letter, as he sends the Philippian letter back, he writes the letter from jail, right? He writes the letter from jail. So you know that's the circumstances. And, you know, Philippi is a church that he starts. From, starts with a little prayer meeting with a woman. And then there was that Philippian jailer, remember that? And he started that little fledgling church there over into Macedonia, remember that? And then he goes into, he's, when he's in jail, then he sends a letter back. And he's exhorting the people to get along and to get the gospel done and to be joyful, to be happy. 
Uh, and, how, and so in the first chapter, I, I, I notice these four things. Here's the first one. If you want to be happy, surround yourself with people who help you. You don't have to have a lot of people, but surround yourself with people that will help you pursue joy in God together. Now, you know, I don't mean to surround yourself with people that are trying to party and have a good time. That, that could take you in the wrong direction, right? I'm saying find a handful of people who are seeking joy in God and join with them you know, together. That's what being a Christian is supposed to be like. It's, it's like, like Paul said, we're workers together for your joy. That's how he described it. And so we could legitimately say being a Christian is seeking our joy in God, seeking our happiness in God. And you don't need a lot of people like that, but you need a few people that will help you. And you see this in the life of Paul here in chapter 1, when you just read 1 through 11, and especially in verses 3 through 5 and verse 8, listen to how Paul talks. He talks about relationships. He says it so sweetly, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, and the bishops and deacons, grace you peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen how warm his language is. I thank God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Isn't that sweet? Paul wasn't detached or remote. He wasn't just general here. This was a very personal greeting to people that he loved and cared about. He prayed for them. Okay, so if you'll allow me, I went to church twice Sunday. Um, I went to the early service at a church near Holly's house, Holly and Jesse's house. It was so sweet. I didn't know any of the people there. I just kind of, I did the thing you're not supposed to do. If you do this, shame on you. I waited until, I drank my coffee until the last second, and then I darted in. And then while he was praying, I darted out so that nobody would smoke me out and find out I was a pastor and things get really awkward. So I just went into this church and I, I watched them do church. I remember this girl, she, I saw her driving in, drinking her coffee and parking her car alone, a single girl, I saw her. I noticed she went up and sat in the front and then they were singing worship songs and another girl came and sat next to her and they were kind of hugging each other and swaying. I thought it looked kind of funny. You know, they were right there in the front row and they were just hugging and swaying back and forth while they were singing the, the worship songs. And it wouldn't be long before I'd feel kind of bad because when the pad before the pastor preached, it's a smaller church, and he said, I'm going to walk around the microphone, and, and I just want you to share a word of testimony. You know what that girl said? She said, I'm really happy today. She says, I feel really happy today because I'm 10 years clean today. You have anybody that you want to see delivered from the bondage of drugs or alcohol? Can you imagine them being 10 years clean? And tears streaming down their face and singing worship songs. Man, you, you need a group of people to get together with who love the Lord and to pursue joy together. Now, Paul understood this and he prayed specifically. It was very personal. Um, so the second church I go to then, I go back to the house and Jesse and I go to this church together, a church that he often attends. Uh, to the 11 o'clock service, it's a little church in the village and you sit down, and there was an elderly lady playing an organ, and they just before they paused right at the time when the service started, they paused, and a church bell rang out over the town. And the pastor was very informal. It was liturgical, but there was a piece that was informal. And the pastor said, it's time for us to pray now. 
says, we're all praying for Holly right now. He didn't even use her last name. He just said Holly. Everybody murmured, yeah, we're praying for Holly. There was one little old lady there that didn't hear very well. And after the pastor graciously prayed for Holly, a few minutes later, this lady said, are we going to pray for Holly today? He said, let's, let's pray for Holly. I got to tell you, I, I was reminded how important it is to really pray for people and to care about people, every single one of them. Some of our members are going through great pain. They can't sleep through the night. Some of them are waiting the results of tests coming back to see if their cancer is gone. Some of us pray and pray for our own kids because we want them to do well, and we're not sure how that's going to go. You just got to have people, right? You got to be together. Paul understood that, and he spoke in the sweetest terms about human beings, about people. If you want to be happy, you want to find a few people. Okay, like years ago, we were, we were living in Ohio, and I started a little church, and there were only two other girls Holly's age. I remember this. You girls remember this probably. And the two girls that were Holly's age decided to conspire against her not to be her friend. They were just little girls. And they decided they would be friends, but they wouldn't be friends with her. And that just broke her heart. And really, every day, every Sunday, we'd hear that, you know, that she didn't have any friends, and she felt bad about that. And we went to a new church. We went up to Michigan, and we took the church in Fremont. And one of the things Lois and I prayed for all the time, over and over again, is that Hollywood have a friend. She needed a friend. You know, she's a mercy, so merciful people need a friend. They don't need a bunch of friends. They need a few. We prayed and we prayed that she would have a friend. You guys remember this? In the church, a new couple, new family came to the church. You remember this? And they had these two girls with dark hair, Courtney and, Mar- <laughs> Courtney and Mariah. And Courtney and Mariah were sweet girls, and they lived real close to us. Holly would go out and put her rollerblades on, and she'd rollerblade around on the street, and then she'd rollerblade over in front of Courtney and Mariah's house, and they would see her and put their, by the time they got their rollerblades on to go meet her, she had gone back home. And then they would rollerblade around over in front of our house. And after a while, finally they met. And they were the best of friends, weren't they? For many years, those girls would go out in that street. They would just rollerblade around. And I could see them now with the light on at nighttime. And the kids all gathered together, encouraging one another in the Lord. You just need that, right? You need to have a few people. There's a couple I know that are such exemplary Christians that every once in a while I get invited to their home. And when they invite me to their home for dinner, I, 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 don't, I don't act like it. I don't want to act too eager, you know, but I am just thrilled to be able to go to their house for dinner. I just consider it priceless to go to these people's house for dinner. The way they live, the love for the Lord they have, the genuineness of their faith, the depth of their faith, the way they live is just such exemplary way of living that I love to be in their home. And I, I don't want to overstay my welcome, so I always leave when I'm supposed to, but I just, I could stay all night because just being around them, you just feel so, they love the Lord so much and they're so consistent in their walk with the Lord and their home is so peaceful and he's so good at directing conversation in an edifying way. You never gossip over there, always talk about the things of the Lord. We need people like that. We need to be people like that. If you want to be happy, one of the things, one of the ways to be happy is to have a little cluster of people who you can seek your joy in the Lord together. That's number one. Number two is root your happiness in the character and in the promises of God. Root your happiness in the character and the promises of God, not in your circumstances. Like Paul's in jail, right? But listen to how he talks in verse 12. I want you to know, brethren, the things which happened to me, meaning I'm thrown in prison, right, have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. 
So it's like he's saying, I've had bad things happen to me, but overall it's good because the gospel is being furthered, and that's what my life's about anyway. That's what he's saying. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to the rest that, that my chains are in Christ. Most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak of the word without fear. Some preach Christ even from envy and strife. He goes on. He says, so here's the second thing if you didn't get it. That is, and this is really maybe the most important one. And that is, if you want to be happy, don't root your happiness in stuff somebody else can mess with. Don't root your happiness in something somebody else can take away. Don't root your happiness in make it dependent on somebody else. Don't root your happiness in your children's being what you want them to be. Don't root your happiness in having certain things. Because all that stuff can go away, right? You've got to, if you're going to be happy, you've got to root your happiness in the, the character of God, the immutable, meaning his unchanging character. He doesn't change. And the gospel, which is that he gave his son, our Savior Jesus, who died on the cross to give us eternal security, right? Absolutely eternal security. That forever and ever, that will never change no matter what happens. So a few years ago, I heard some really bad, I got some really bad news. It was so sad, so hard that it crushed me. I never felt so crushed in my life. I literally, immediately, when this bomb dropped on me, it just crushed me. And I felt like for a long time, I will never be able to really be myself again. I'll never be able to be happy again. Because this was such a bitter disappointment to me. And for weeks, I would pretend in public. When I preached and when I went to church, I acted happy. When I got home, I didn't pretend. I just went in the house and I went over and sat in my chair and I was just sad. And this went on for a, week, for a couple of weeks. And one day I walked in the house and Lois said, You know, Ken, you, we all depend on you to be happy. The whole family depends on you to be happy. And if you're not going to be happy, I don't know what we're going to do. And I decided that I was going to be happy. Even though there were things happening in my life that were really sad. Because I can't root my confidence, my joy, and my happiness in something somebody else can take away. Or something that's vulnerable because of the broken, fallen world that we live in. I've got to root my happiness and joy not in that I got a good job or that I have nice things or that my kids are all well-behaved. But i got to root my, my joy in things that can never change, like the furtherance of the gospel and the eternal promises of God and the immutable character of God and not in my circumstances. If you want to be happy, I would say, number one, surround yourself with a cluster of people that are seeking joy in God, which is like a church. Number two, root your happiness in things that can't change, like the immutable character of God. Three, trust God that he has a unique plan for you to bring him glory and you happiness. Okay, listen to me carefully. You got to trust God that he has a unique plan for you to bring him glory and you happiness. It's unique. Okay, I didn't have an illustration for this. It's always interesting when I kind of illustrate things, it helps, right? And I walked through the hall today and I literally had a little blank there. I had a little, I have a notation in my notes, I-L-L. That means illustration needs to go right here. And I didn't have one. And I was walking through the hall this morning. Janice Menzel came up to me. We were talking about childbirth. And Janice asked about Holly, which I appreciate a lot. She told me she couldn't have children. And she wanted to have children really bad. And she prayed that she would be able to have children. And she gave me permission to tell you this, or I wouldn't tell you. 
And then she had to have a hysterectomy. And then she knew she would never have children. And then she said, I had a decision to make. I can be jealous of people who have children, like my sister, or I could be the very best aunt that ever was. And she made up her mind that even though God had not chosen to allow her to have children, she was still going to be happy. God has a unique plan for everybody. For some, it's marriage. It's a happy marriage and a tolerant mate that's going to stay with you and be good to you. And for others, not. God has a unique plan for everybody. Some, it's going to be unusual wealth. Curse me with that, Lord. (laughs) Kidding. Others, not so much. You're not going to have much. It's a unique plan for his glory and for your good. So I'm dealing with a boy one time, and he was struggling. And he was just, and he had it, he had it thought through pretty well. And he was saying, I just can't believe that holiness and happiness are tied together. He actually said it that way. He said, I got to take, I got to choose one or the other, right? He, he literally said, I feel like I've got to choose to be holy or I got to choose to be happy, but pursuing holiness isn't going to make me happy. He literally said that. He struggled with that. A lot of people struggle with that. Do happen, are happiness and holiness, are, are, they, are they welded together and they can't go apart? I'm telling you, that's the way it is. God's ways are the only way to real happiness. The only way. And so for you, can I say to you, God has a unique plan for you to glorify Him and to be happy. And so you don't want to compare to other people. Now, Paul got this. You see it in verses 15 through 18. He's, he doesn't compare himself with other people who are, who are free, even though they're false teachers. <coughs> Excuse me. So they got false teachers, and they're free to go around and preach. And he's a faithful apostle, and he's in jail. But he doesn't get angry. Matter of fact, he rejoices. Listen to what it says. I'm reading from verses 15 through 18. Some preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not even sincerely. Supposing to add affliction to my change, the latter from love, knowing I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And here's what he says. And in this I rejoice. And I will rejoice. Isn't that good? He says, I rejoice. And I'm never going to stop rejoicing. I'm not going to compare myself with other. A guaranteed way to be miserable is to compare yourself with other people. A guaranteed way to be miserable is to compare yourself with other people. But just believe that your way, the way God had for Job was unique, right? How Job was going to glorify God and how Job was going to pursue happiness was going to be unique for him. Thank the Lord that you didn't have to go through what Job went through. And your way, are you going to glorify God and find your joy in God, even though things are hard for you? Let me show you the, let me show you the fourth one. Uh, fourth, be, and this is going to sound s- simplistic and and um, uh, shallow, but don't be easily deceived that way. I just put it in a simple way. Be an optimist. If you insist, I, I knew you were going to be quiet when I said that. If you insist, I'd say be a realistic optimist. See, because if you're a Christian, it's only realistic to be an optimist. You don't get it yet, do you? You're not convinced. That, I mean, where do we end? After all, all this is over, where do we end? We end in the presence of God. In an eternal reward and a reunion with brothers and sisters in Christ who've been made perfect like Jesus. 
That's pretty good. So you understand, we can even be having our head taken off, which I don't want to do, right? But I mean, we can even be having our head taken off and go, when this is over, I wake up in the presence of God. So I'm an optimist. That Paul does this. You know, he's in prison, but he's going, well, here's the good thing. <laughs> here's, the, here's the good thing. Good thing is, Jody, I don't know about that dog pulling you off the back porch. What good can come from that? Maybe you'll just see everybody loves you and you need a smaller dog. You know, I was thinking, but my dog would never pull me off the back porch. That wouldn't ever happen. No. Jody got pulled off the back porch by her dog and hit her face. And that was interesting. You got to read Facebook just to stay in touch with people. <laughs> like, I'm not sure why that's good yet. And Jody probably doesn't know. She even had to put a thing on Facebook. My husband didn't beat me. It was the dog that pulled me <laughs> off. That's what it said. I'm just saying, you know, it's reporting on that. It's public. Uh, but be an optimist. And that, you know, it's only realistic to be an optimist if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about that. You know, too many negative, crabby Christians. They, they just really are. Like, what in the world? I, I got, we got flown out to the West Coast, right? And so I have a deal. If I fly, I'm not going to complain, you know, because you're flying, right? You're flying in an airplane. I heard a comedian say, wait a minute. You're in a chair at 30,000 feet and you're flying. Why are you complaining? It's like <laughs> people say, how was the flight? I'm like, I flew, which is kind of cool, you know. Some of you are going, well, you need to fly more. So, I don't know. I mean, I just think if you fly somewhere, you should be going, ah, I'm flying. And they're giving you a little Coke while you're doing that. And if you want to, you can trundle back and use that cute little bathroom they have back there. It's amazing. People, can I do anything for you? Can you make it a little cooler? Thank you very much. You know, just be, Don't be so crabby. Here's what Paul says. For I know, this is verse 20, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. You pray, Jesus will do what he does, I'll be delivered. And then he says, according to my earnest expectation and hope. What does that sound like to you? That sounds to me like a pretty positive thinker. According to my earnest expectation and hope. Paul's in prison writing this stuff. I have, a, I have a, an, an earnest expectation and hope that for me to, he says, um, <coughs> in, in nothing I'll be ashamed with all boldness as always. So now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether in life or death. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And that's why it says in Hebrews that we should always encourage one another daily. So that's what we should do. So that's how you can be. Those are four ways. I could have told you dozens more if we had time. Those are just four from the first chapter of Philippians. Ways to be happy. Be optimistic. You know? Quit being such a crab. Be optimistic. That's one. Surround yourself with people who are seeking their joy in the Lord. Right? Root your, root your happiness and stuff nobody can take away from you. And don't compare yourself with other people. I, years ago, I was on my way to a speaking engagement. And it was important to me. It was this little Bible college, a little tiny Bible institute. It wasn't a big deal. But I was asked to speak at the, their chapel, so it was a big deal to me. And I took Lois with me, and we only had one child then, little Kyle. And little Kyle was a spoiled brat of a kid. And, and Well, he wasn't a brat, but he was spoiled. And we put him in a little car seat. He was like two and a half or three. It was a really adorable time for kids. And the car seat was in the front of the car because he would cry if we put him in the back. And back then, we didn't know that that was irresponsible and you go to jail for behaving like that. We didn't even have airbags back then. I don't think they even made them. But 
Sometimes we were really safe. He'd be standing on the seat. If we'd slow down really fast, we would hold on to him like this. Imagine that. Anyway, that was back in the, in the old times. And he was sitting in the car seat, and he was between us. And we didn't have GPS back then either. So I got lost going to this place, and I couldn't find it. And the, and the closer it got to the time I was supposed to speak, the more frustrated I became. Like, I am not going to make this speak anymore. And I hate that. I hate missing an opportunity to speak, you know, and just hate that. And, and, I, and I just kept driving around South Bend. I couldn't find it. And then the car got really quiet because I was really irritable, you know. And Lois was really quiet. Kyle was really quiet. I'm just, like, really concerned. And then finally the time goes past when I was supposed to speak, and then it goes five minutes past, and then it goes 10 minutes past, and then 15 and 20. And I'm thinking, that's it. I'm, I was just so frustrated. I missed that speaking engagement. <coughs> <coughs> Some kind of cute happened that night that I've never forgotten. It was a long time ago. Little Kyle sitting right next to me. He was such an adorable little boy at that age. And he leans forward, he looks at me, and he goes, Hey, Daddy, are you happy? <laughs> and his eyes never left mine. He goes, Are you happy? Are you happy, Daddy? Sometimes I still hear him saying that. I'll never want my kids to look at me and Ask me the question, hey, is Jesus enough for you, Dad? If he takes everything away from you, will you still love him? I don't ever want him to wonder if, I'm ha- if Jesus isn't enough to make me happy. I'm the happiest man you know. Yes, I'm happy. Jesus makes me happy. And he can make you happy too. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that our happiness is eternally secure in you. And draw to yourself any who are outside of Christ today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.